1209, Jeff Wagner, WPMJ. So Eric Bilstead, occasionally I'm accused of burying the lead, which oftentimes I, I do on purpose just to kind of like make, make people listen and say, where, where is he going with the story? But okay. I am not going to bury the lead on today's, no matter what else I talk about today. And I've got all sorts of great things that we're going to discuss. I, I want to start off with the most important thing going on, at least in my life today. It is my wife's birthday. Hi, how about so, that? Happy I, so, I, lest I forget this, <laughs> happy birthday, darling. I love you very much. Hope you enjoyed your presents. And she's actually, I, I said, what do you want to do tonight? Do you want to have a big party or something? And she said, let's let's get the kids and the grandkids. Let's go out for pizza. I said, done. Excellent. So that's, that's it. So before we go anywhere else, okay, happy birthday, dear. So that's we, nice. we will not bury the lead in that. All right. That being said, let's get started. As we do with the first segment of every program, we live stream on Facebook. So go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can tune in and watch us as we go about our business. In addition, and I always try to remind people of this, I know more and more of you don't get an opportunity to listen to the entire show because you've got like this real life thing that that kicks in occasionally. Um, But more and more people listen to the podcast. I see the numbers every month. You can go to WTMJ.com. Just click on the mobile apps. You can subscribe to the Wagner Show podcast and then listen to it on your own time. I hear from a lot of people who will, uh, again, be listening to the show. Maybe they hear an hour during the noon hour, but then, you know, they're listening to it at night as they're working out. Or uh, interestingly, I'll wake up sometimes in the morning and I'll check my email. And I have a whole series of emails from people like at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, those are people that are listening to the podcast and are hearing the, the show and they want to respond. So um, check that out. It's another way to participate in the program. All right, if you want to actually see the visuals of what we are going to talk about to start the program off, you can text me the word FLAG, F-L-A-G, to 414-799-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The city of Milwaukee has had a flag, and the current edition of the flag um, has been around since 1954 or 1955. If you were watching us on Facebook, that's what it looks like. But it, it's a it's a dated by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's dated. the The flag, for example, has the the uh, has the Milwaukee Brave. Now, keep in mind, it goes back to 1955, so I'm sure it was very very timely at the time. But it's got the Milwaukee Braves logo as part of the flag. Okay, the Braves have been gone since what 1965. Now, some people are offended by the, the headdress and stuff that was the Brave symbol. Uh, regardless of how you feel about that, it's the Milwaukee Braves who haven't been around since 1965. It's got an illustration. Part of it is is County Stadium. County Stadium's been gone for going on 20 years now. It's just, it is dated. So the powers that be decided we need, we being the city of Milwaukee, needs a, a new flag. So... What they did, and this goes back to about 2016, what they did is they decided to um, create an organization called the People's Flag of Milwaukee Group. And what what this group did, and you might remember this, is they they had a design contest and they they threw it open to the public and they said, here, give us us designs for the flags. And over a thousand people entered the design contest. And then what happened after that is you had this committee which selected five of the thousand that ended up being submitted. All right, and then of the thousand entries, what happened was it was narrowed to to five. They had a, a field of, of they had a 
a, a group that decided to you know narrow it down to five. And then what they did is they had an online vote. And after the end of this whole process, they chose the current edition of what, what they wanted to be the flag, which is generally referred to as as the sunrise flag, sunrise over the lake. Now, if you look at it, I don't know that it's something that I would have necessarily chosen, but you see these flags, even though they've never officially been adopted. I mean, the, the Common Council has never officially signed off and saying this is our flag. But since this goes back to 2016, you've had a number of these flags made, and you see these flags all over. You see them at Miller Park. You see them all over downtown. The current uh, people's flag, again, it's the, the top half is yellow, the bottom half is blue, and it features a, a sunrise or a sunset. There's a, a white ball in the middle. Top half, it's white, and the bottom half, it's like a little bit of blue. Again, it's it's designed to show the, the sun rising over the lake. All right. Now, reasonable people can disagree about whether or not this is a great flag. But the truth is, and I found this talking about art in this area, you know, you're never going to get people to agree. If it were up to me, they would have taken that big, ar- ugly orange sunburst at the end of Wisconsin Avenue. They would have gotten rid of it years and years ago. But I'm told that that's art and it can't be, be, be moved. So anyhow, this was, after this lengthy process and the voting, this this was the, the choice, the, the people's flag. Well, all right. The, the Common Council, like I say, has never voted on this to formally adopt it, even though, you see th- this all over. Well, now what's happened is you have the Milwaukee Arts Board, which has decided we don't think we like the flag, or at least we're not sure that we should go ahead and formally give this flag the imprimatur. So what they say, and I'm looking at the story on Milwaukee, I'm, I'm sorry, Urban Milwaukee, which is you know one of the online websites that talks about the city. You know they've been covering this, and they quote. You know, one of the people, you know, who's on this art board is saying, we decided that although the prior committee did a very good job and they're to be commended for the work they did, the flag is not inclusive enough. We would like to see something better done if the city is going to put their name on it. And then they go on to quote some committee members as saying, well, we've had some concerns about the lack of bilingual information, a shortcoming in outreach to the city's African-American population, and potential issues with a lack of citywide awareness around the contest. So they're saying, despite the fact that we went through all this in 2016, maybe we should start over, while acknowledging that at the end of starting over, maybe they might come back and still adopt the flag that's been out there. So we're really, the Arts Board wants to take us back to square one, except they estimate that the process of starting over would probably cost about $100,000 to, uh, again, begin the whole process. Now, this isn't making new flags. That's only a few thousand bucks. But the process of, okay, let's form another committee. Let's go back to square one. Again, the estimates are, well, it, it could be up to, $100,000 or so. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let me say this at the outset. To me, this is so quintessentially Milwaukee that the fact that you, you can't, 
you can't make a decision. They can't live with decisions that are made, that there's always this tinkering and this dithering, and there's always an expenditure of money. That's number one. Number two, while I acknowledge that you know there needs to be a new flag, and while I don't know that I would have selected the current flag, it would strike me that with all the current demands that are there, we've got crime problems, you've got employment problems, you've got lead in the water. Every time it rains hard in the city of Milwaukee, they're dumping poop into Lake Michigan. <laughs> Is it really the best use of money to spend up to a thousand, uh, up to a hundred thousand dollars to reopen the question of what a city flag should be? But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My opinion is they had this process. You are never going to make everybody happy. Some people love this new flag. Other people think it's awful. But the idea of reopening this in 2018, dragging this on for another year or two, and spending $100,000 of taxpayer money or more, I think is absolutely ridiculous. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So what's it going to be? Money for a continued study of a flag? Or is there better ways that those taxpayer dollars could be spent? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Once again, we're live streaming facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, has the world gone mad that the city of Milwaukee, which had this elaborate process back in 2016, over a, they decided they wanted to redo the flag, which, by the way, I get it. I, I get it. I have no problem with that. They had this open process. A thousand designs, over a thousand designs were submitted. They had this panel of experts that narrowed it down to five, and then they had the public that voted. And that flag, while it's never been officially adopted, has been unofficially adopted. You see that flag, that sunrise over the lake flag all over. All right, do I think it's perfect? Well, probably not. But at the same time, I don't know that you're going to ever be able to get anybody to agree on one. So now you have the Milwaukee Arts uh, Council, the Arts Board, and they've decided, well, you know, we, we don't know that we think that this is good enough. So now the question I'm getting on, on both on Facebook and on our text line is, well, Jeff, how in the world can it cost $100,000 of taxpayer money to pick a new flag? That is a very good question. Well, well, here's here's the process that they're looking at. Now, keep in mind that they did this whole thing back in 2016. Well, the board is recommending to the Common Council that a request for proposals be issued and funds allocated for a consultant to manage a design process for a new flag. They're looking at hiring, for the love of God, a consultant to manage the design process for the new flag. The consultant would be tasked with holding feedback meetings across the city to learn what residents wanted on the city flag. Area council members would be encouraged to promote and attend those meetings. All right. Uh, One of the board members says, it strikes us that this process is fundamentally not an aesthetic process. It's a political process. The consultant or consultants would then take that feedback to create a design contest 
within the parameters based on community feedback or design or design the flags themselves. All right. And then they say that even after we spend all this dough, the winning flag from the whole process could still be the sunrise over the lake flag. So we could spend all this taxpayer money and still have the same thing that we have. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, look, I understand, I understand that everybody's got different opinions. And I understand that we are obsessed with inclusiveness and participation. But at some point in time, you have to make a decision. In this particular case, they had over a thousand designs. They were then reviewed by a so-called committee of experts, and then the people decided. Thousands and thousands of people voted on this. This idea that, okay, now we need to go back and do something else is, again, it's just quintessential Milwaukee where you can't make any sort of decisions, and the ultimate response is, well, gee, we want to be inclusive, so what we're going to do is we're going to spend $100,000 that is just essentially like taking that money sitting in the back of the streetcar and lighting it on fire to perhaps get to where we already are. Here's a text. I'm not sure why people don't feel included in this flag. How is a rising sun indicative to any group or is somewhat upset because the group that chose it did not have, you know, somebody from a particular group on it? Another text. It's pointless to spend so much money on a flag. That money can be used for other things. The point is you're never going to have everybody be happy. So what if the new flag is worse than the first? What do they do now? Here's another text. Jeff, I love the new flag design. You've got to be kidding me. $100,000 for a new flag design? Well, that's to hire the consultants. I'm a taxpayer in this ridiculous city, and it's just another reason for me to be disgusted with the current city leaders. Um, Yeah, think of all the things that you could spend money on. I mean, think of all the things that you could spend money on. You're going to spend a hundred grand on hiring consultants to essentially do a do-over on a flag that was chosen through what I think is a an incredibly small D democratic process. And again, I I'm I'm not sold on the flag one way or the other, but I'm not convinced at all that after you spend all this money that you're going to get anything that is appreciably better, and you might get the same thing, except what's going to happen? You're going to be out at least $100,000. And I say at least because once you start these hiring consultants, we all know what typically happens. Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Greetings. I was just wondering, uh, what is the uh, purpose of government officials? If they can't make a decision and they have to hire consultants for all this stuff, what are the people of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, et cetera, what are we paying those people for? Why don't, and if they want to have consultants, why shouldn't it, doesn't it come out of their pocket, their budget, as opposed to, you know, the city right. coffers? Well, I mean, see that, I mean, th- thanks, I mean, th- this, this whole thing was completely and totally predictable. You, you, you know, they, they created this process to select the new flag. And, and again, maybe back in 2016, Somebody should, could have said to the head of the Common Council or to the mayor, who, by the way, were there at the unveiling and spoke and praised and praised 
you know, the, the winner that came out of this. But then, of course, what happens is you get some people saying, well, I'm not sure. Maybe this isn't inclusive enough. Or maybe, you know, the particular residents of our block didn't feel that they had an input into it. So let's end up having a do-over. But you're exactly right, Dave. You know, you're talking about a big amount of money for, uh, again, what is a symbol. You had a process. It's not like there's anything in this flag design that anybody argues is offensive. It's not that at all. It's just some people say, well, maybe we'd like something else. And I guarantee you, you know, you can go out, you can have all the consultants that you want. You can have all the listening sessions that you want. You can talk to now over 6,000 people voted for the flag thing beforehand. My guess is you can talk to 6,000 people. You can get 6,000 different people who have ideas as to what should or shouldn't be on a flag, and you're no better off. This flag has been around for a couple years. The idea of spending a hundred grand to replace it and maybe not even replace it at the end of the process. What's the word? Insane. Absolutely insane. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner. No kidding. I mean, what, Thanksgiving is a week from tomorrow? Wow, where did the year go? WTMJ, that's us, are back with our annual holiday radio show. It's WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinair, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities. It's going to originate, as the last three have, from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee. The show is a week from Monday. It's Monday, November 26th. Doors open at 5.30. The show starts at 6.30. The live radio play is going to be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can be a part of it. Buy tickets now. They're only 25 bucks a piece, and a portion of that goes to charity. There are, as of yesterday, less than 50 tickets that remain. And, and actually, I think the only reason there's that many is I think we, we've expanded. We're, we're selling more tickets this year. But as of yesterday morning, there were less than 50 tickets, which means it's going to sell out in the very, very near future. So do not be shut out. Go to WTMJ.com, or if you want, text the word CHRISTMAS to 414-799-1620, and we will take care of you. Crew, who is producing the show today and always. You've been to Disney World? Oh no, it's not. You, they're they're playing musical producers on me. We now have that's Nick. We now have the third producer in thirty eight minutes. All right, you ever been to Disney World? When you were very young, okay. I um, I did not get the roller coaster gene in our family, so going to Disney World or Disneyland is kind of a waste for me. My brother, on the other hand, loves roller coasters. And my, my brother, um, years and years ago, when, when the kids were, were young, they, they got, they got a timeshare down at Disney. So they, they go to Disney or, um, had gone to Disney every year, maybe every other year. And what would happen is I, I would go along every couple years because it was sort of a family thing to do. But again, since I'm not into the giant roller coaster, since I'm not going to go on the rock and roll roller coaster, since I'm not going to go on Space Mountain, since I'm not going to do a lot of that, I'll go on some of the motion capture things. But it, it, in many respects, going to Disney World for me is a waste because there's a huge chunk of stuff that I'm not going to do. Nevertheless, uh, it's a it's a great family thing, and and I have been to Disney World on many many occasions. Just again because it's part of the family thing, and they've got some nice restaurants there, and there's fun things to do. So I, I go to Disney World from time to time, but not on the top of my list. Disney though has many rules and regulations, 
and they make it very, very clear, and this is whether you're going to Disneyland or Disney World, etc., there is a certain environment and an ambiance and an atmosphere that they want to create at the park. So they have all sorts of rules about what you can bring in, what you can't bring in, etc. They want it to be the happiest place in the world so that when they say, have a magical day to you, you always feel that way. One of the things that Disney World and Disneyland feel very, very strongly about is that they, they want to be a break from politics. They don't want electioneering. They don't want political banter going on inside the grounds. They want it to be fun. They want it to be all about Mickey, et cetera, et cetera. Which brings me to the story of a guy named Dion Cini. Dion, Dion, Dion Cini. Dion, um, is, he, he's a big supporter of President Trump. And over the past several months, he has been engaged in what he calls guerrilla not guerrilla as in the zoo, but guerrilla as in like the insurgents, guerrilla marketing. And what he does is he goes around to places with pro-Trump banners. He's containing, you know, say, let's say like Trump 2020. And what he'll do is he will unfurl these banners in an effort to get attention, to, to get free media coverage. He's done it at Yankee Stadium, for example, got free media coverage. He did it on, on Broadway got free media coverage. Well, last week, he went down to Disney World, and he tried to do the same thing. He goes on Splash Mountain. Now, of the different rides at Disney World, I kind of like Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain is a ride that I can do. You know, you sit in one of these cars, and you you go up and up and up, and you're one of these cars, then you get to the top, and then it goes over the top, and you know you, you get that you get that drop, and there's water flying all over. I, I actually kind of like Splash Mountain as far as rides go. So what he does is he there's also as you're going up Splash Mountain, right as you get to the top and you start to go down, they've got cameras that take everybody's picture. And what you can do after you're on the ride is you can go, and if you want, you can buy the picture of you as you're going over the top of the waterfall on Splash Mountain. So what this guy does is he's got a, a sign that says Trump 2020, and he's wearing his Make America Great hat. And what he does is he's going over the waterfall, the top of Splash Mountain. He puts up the Trump 2020 sign. So it generates that photograph of himself. All right. Disney sees him doing this. And long story short, he has done something similar to this before. Disney has told him, look, you, you, you know, you can't do this. First, when the first time he did something similar to this, they, they warned him. They said, look, if you come back and you do this again, we're going to bounce you. Well, last week he came back and he did it again. Disney says, look, we're not banning the guy because he, he's pro-Trump. We're banning him because we have a rule, and this is what the rule says, that prohibits people from organizing demonstrations or speeches using any flag, banner, or sign for commercial purposes or inciting a crowd. The policies also state that any Disney item, any item Disney deems harmful or disruptive is not permitted. They say Walt Disney World welcomes all guests to enjoy our parks. However, demonstrations and display of signs and banners is not permitted on the premises. We previously told this guest about our rules. He knowingly violated them, and now we have banned him for life. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did Disney go too far 
in tossing this guy for displaying his Trump 2020 sign on their grounds. Again, guests prohibited from organizing demonstrations or speeches using any flag, banner, or sign for commercial purposes or inciting the crowd. And Disney says that we can ban people for bringing items that are harmful or disruptive. Did they go too far in tossing the guy from Disney World for life? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's 1244. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 48 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so the guy who's a big Trump supporter, he, he tries to create media events. And what he does is he goes to places like Yankee Stadium and he waves his Trump, 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 Trump 2020 you know, banners and signs. All right, fine. And he gets on TV. And so that's what he's trying to do. Well, he goes to Disney World last week. He goes on Splash Mountain. And as he's going over the top, he holds up the sign, Trump 2020. People take pictures of it. The thing kind of goes viral. The Disney World security find him, and they'd apparently previously warned him about banners and such like that, and they toss him off. And now th- this story has gone viral. He's saying they're, they're trying to get rid of me because of content. All right, they're not tossing him out because he was wearing a Make America Great Again hat. They're tossing him out because he had the, the banner. And they say, we, we just don't allow signs. We don't allow banners, particularly political ones. All right, did Disney go too far? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Melissa in Cedarburg. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, this is... You know, it, it goes both ways again. Um, you know, it's like, what are we in kindergarten? Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you're promoting or what you're, you know, what you are against. Um, it's like um, he's been told once, you right. know, or it doesn't matter if he's been told once or twice. You know, he knew the rules. Right. They don't and, want political signs right. at Disney World, which is something right. that, by the way, I, I understand if I'm going there with my family. Okay, and again, forget the Trump sign. I don't want somebody waving a Hillary 2020 sign in my face. That's not why people go to the Magic Kingdom. This is not. Right. You're right. You're taking your family there to have fun. And and that's not even the point. The point is that he's been told before, you know, take that, go go somewhere else. And, you know, that's not even the point. He's, He's been told once. Right. So, you know, why would you even try it again? And, you know, kick his butt out, you know. <laughs> and that's, and I tell you, Melissa, that, thanks for calling. That, that's what they did. They said, look, we warned him the first time, and then he came back and he did it again, and then they call it trespassing. Then we call the cops and we say, look, you know, we, we've banned this guy for our property, and they have the right to end up doing that. Again, this would have been, I think, in my opinion at least, a closer case if they had tried to ban him because he showed up again with his Make America Great hat or whether he showed up, you know, with a Trump T-shirt. But that's not why they tried to ban him. They banned him because he was waving a sign. And the rule does say you you can't have, you know, signs or banners. You can't use any flag, banner, or sign for commercial purposes. Now, he might argue, well, this wasn't a commercial purpose. It was a political purpose. But I I get the idea. They don't want people, again, they don't want people interfering with other people's enjoyment of, of Disney World, and they don't want to turn it into a spot where people are advocating political causes. And and again, regardless of whether you're conservative or liberal, I, I support this. And as long as they would do the same thing, if somebody was there with a Hillary 2020 sign or, you know, whatever, I, I'll support them. Lamar, who is calling us from the home of Disney World, Orlando. Hi, hi, hi Lamar. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. 
And I know this time of year you don't like me to mention the weather, but I will mention that we're dealing with like record heat right now. Oh, okay. What is like, re- what what does record heat mean? It's twenty eight degrees and it was seventeen last night. What is twenty eight what is record heat in Orlando? We've been dealing with the nineties. I suppose cold on the weekend, but we've been dealing with the nineties, which is about ten degrees hotter than it normally is this time of year. Not that not that that's something to complain about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> what do you uh, fair enough. What do you think about the uh, about what happened at Disney World? You know what, Disney not only does Disney not have the out of order for first he was warned. That's number one. That's at the end of the day he was warned. But Disney doesn't want you advertising anything else. Um, Disney, when you're at Disney, want it to be family friendly, and of course they want you to only think about Disney. Not right. only do they not allow like there's no outside ads of any kind right. allowed in Disney, whether it be banners or, or signs or whatever. There's even a no fly zone. I know most people know this. There's a no fly zone over at Disney, so that like when there's local events here, like. Um, there's like their Florida Classic here this weekend. Those planes came to fly to the Disney area to advertise for other things. Because Disney, when you're at Disney, first of all, they want to keep it extraordinarily right. family friendly, and they want you to enjoy the park. Right. And they want to be all about them. And so they were spot on with this one. Yeah, and I guess, and, and the guy was warned. Now, clearly, this guy was all about making a statement and trying to get attention and getting his, you know, f- you know, 15 minutes of fame, which he's done because people are talking about this all across the country. So I guess he succeeded. But I don't see Disney World as being the bad guys, at least in this case. Absolutely not. This uh, is a good guy. In this case. Thanks. For, not so <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for the call, Lamar. Enjoy the 90-degree heat in Orlando. 414-799-1620. Tyler in Fond du Lac. Tyler on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, you kind of made my point already. As long as it's uh, applied evenly, that if I was waving a, a Hillary twenty twenty, I'd get banned right. too. And and yeah, I don't. You know, I don't want to have a political argument in every. Right. You know, every day I want to have a place where I have refuge. Same way I felt with football. I, you know, I don't want to have a political argument. I just want to watch a darn football game. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. If you're if you're going to be spending all the money it costs to go to Disney World or Disneyland, you want to have you want to be able to enjoy the experience, and you don't want to be, I don't know, standing in line and having somebody with a megaphone saying, "Hey, you got to vote for this person or vote for that person," regardless of what their politics are. I get why Disney World is doing that. They're trying. This is their business model. It is a certain atmosphere. They don't want signs of, and they don't want the political stuff. And I, for one, support them because when I go to Disney World, I don't think I want the political stuff either. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to call Tyler. Yeah, I just don't see Disney World as being the bad guy here. Here's a text, Jeff. We were at Disney World last week and totally agree with what they did. I was actually, it was actually very nice to get a break from all the political ads and commercials. It's designed to be a place to disconnect from reality. Courtney texts, Jeff, my biggest issue with this is that he was already warned and he kept pushing it. When people are told to stop doing things or there will be repercussions for their actions and they continue, they no longer have the right to be surprised by the repercussions from the action. When Disney tells you not to hold up signs in Splash Mountain, don't hold up signs in Splash Mountain. Um, yeah, I, I mean, especially kind of like these these political signs and, and things like that. They don't want the commercial stuff. And as long as Disney World enforces this across the board, I'm going to back them on this. It's 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I admit, this is going to be rich, and I have to tell you, I'm going to enjoy watching how this all plays out. The, the, the Democrats retook control of the House of Representatives. And actually, if you look at the, the makeup, a number of, of the Democrats that won and contested districts were not these far-left-wing Democrats. 
They were the moderate Democrats. In many cases, people who ran saying, hey, we need to be able to get stuff done. And they specifically ran away from a lot of the agenda of the hard left Democrats. Well, a number of so that's really if you look at it, I think that's what swung control of Congress, of the House of Representatives from Republicans to Democrats. It was what I would describe as moderates. That is not to say, though, that they're in this incoming class. There's also a lot of. People who, who are far left Democrats, who in many cases, one replacing other Democrats who might not have been as far left. The leader of this is the, this woman from New York, 29 year old who's getting all this attention, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Anyhow, this week, there's an orientation for the new elected officials. And one of the first things that several of the new Democratic Congress men and women did, they staged a protest in Nancy Pelosi's office saying that, you know, she's moving too slowly on the issues of climate change, and they want 100% green jobs and things like that, and 100% renewable energy. And and so already you're seeing this rift in the Democratic Party because you, you've got those that believe the way to retake the presidency, for example, is by moving towards the center. And then you've got the far left that has this voice and saying, hey, we're not, we're not interested in moving towards the center. We're going to... They're in Nancy Pelosi's office, for goodness sake, staging a protest. It is going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. When we come back, the DA says nothing to see here. Stick around. It's 1259. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, yesterday we were talking about Thursday night football. Oh, yeah. So, last evening, my wife comes home from work, and she says, Gee, I've got no plans for Sunday. I'd like to watch the Packers game with you. Where, Where should we go? What should we do? And I said, well, nothing, because they're playing on Thursday night. She said, what do you mean they're playing on Thursday? I said, yes, they're playing on Thursday night. But it's you and I, for people who weren't listening yesterday, I I hate these Thursday night games. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the players don't like them. It's, you know, you're, you're doing this on the, the games tend to be awful. Yeah, product is poor. Right, because they don't have time to prepare. You were just going through the injury list, about four players that... I mean, who knows if any of them would have played if they had until Sunday to recover? But you know, they're they're not they're not given a chance. You've mm-hmm. got three days, and it's sloppy. The players hate it. I don't think the fans particularly like it. The only people that like it are the networks who pay the NFL money. So the greedy owners they just decide to put that on, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So so, uh, honey, I appreciate you want to watch the Packers game with me on Sunday afternoon, but they're not playing you on could, Sunday afternoon. You could DVR and you know, <laughs> see if I could wait for three days to find out the results. Uh, that, that's that's probably unlikely. But again, this is it is one of my rants, and I actually for a minute I thought they might do away with the Thursday games, um, but. But actually, they double down. They, they have more Thursday games than ever because, again, the networks want it and people watch it. But I just, I just, from a quality perspective and from a player safety perspective, I just think it's a bad thing. Well, and the problem is, is that every team has to participate. Right. And because of that, you have teams that aren't any good playing in prime time. So right. then you turn it on and you're watching a terrible football squad try to play football on a day that they're not even prepared to play. Right. You know, and it's, it might be, I mean, logistics. I mean, some people have suggested that teams coming off their bye week should be the ones that play on Thursday night. But my guess is, of course, you know, the first few weeks of the year, there aren't bye weeks. And that probably becomes a logistical nightmare. But again, it's just I just don't think it's it's good for the product. And somebody would always say, well, Jeff, they've always you've always had a handful of teams that played on Thanksgiving. And that's on a Thursday. I said, I, I understand that. But that's a once a year thing. 
It's a special sort of thing. And unless you're one of the regular home teams, Dallas or Detroit or maybe Kansas City, Not I mean, Detroit, yeah. right. I mean, otherwise, it's a rotating sort of thing. That's a, a special kind of one off sort of thing. Not that this something's going on every week. Anyhow. If Eric and I ruled the world, no Thursday night football <laughs> games, but that's that's not the case. All right. This has been a case that has been hanging fire since June of 2017. You may remember this. It was the shooting of a guy who was driving through traffic on the night of June 11, 2017 at the lakefront who was shot. The deputy sheriff who fired the shots was named Michael Truax. It resulted in the death of a guy named Terry Williams. Well, the district attorney's office has been reviewing this matter since June, since it happened, essentially. It happened in June of 2017. They are out with a letter involving this use of force incident. Let me share a portion of it with you, and, and then we're going to discuss. And this is a letter that was issued by the, John Chisholm, the district attorney. It is signed by the chief deputy district attorney, um, Kent Lovern. So here, here's, here's what it says. The setting for this event was an area near the intersection of Lincoln Memorial Drive and Water Tower Road. Again, that's the area where you've got the, um, the, 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 the custard stand that's down there, North Point Custard, the hamburger place and all. All right, the letter says, as is customary during the summer months, this immediate area was populated by hundreds of people accessing the lakefront on foot, in vehicles, and on bicycles. At approximately 7.40 p.m., a deputy sheriff named Marilyn Tinsley attempted to stop a 2007 Audi driven by Terry Williams um, for failure to obey sign violations after... Williams exited through the marked entrance to a parking lot on the north side of Lincoln Memorial Drive. Video cameras cameras from the squad car driven by Tinsley shows that Tinsley slowly followed Williams' vehicle through heavy traffic southbound a short distance on Lincoln Memorial Drive before Williams turned right to head west on Water Tower Road. Traffic remained heavy on this road as it stretched up a hill towards North Avenue. After progressing a short distance, Tinsley activated the lights of his marked squad car and using the public address system from his squad, directed Tinsley to turn his vehicle out of traffic towards a small paved service driveway on the right-hand side of Water Tower Road. That should be Williams, I think. Uh, The deputy then voiced the command over the loudspeaker two times. The passenger in the Audi reported that she was aware of the police squad behind the vehicle that ordered Williams to pull over out of traffic. Williams, this is the driver, did not comply with the sheriff's step with the deputy's directive and instead turned the Audi to the left, crossed oncoming traffic, and drove over a curb onto a grassy area of the hill. The deputy followed Williams and activated his siren as Williams drove through the grass southbound towards Lincoln Memorial Drive. After quickly pulling out onto the roadway, Williams then drove over the median of Lincoln Memorial Drive and began driving northbound. Heavy car traffic filled both directions of the roadways. Williams then drove northbound onto the median, separating the north and southbound lanes, and approached the intersection of Lincoln Memorial Drive and Water Tower Road. Deputy Michael Truax was assigned to foot patrol on the lakefront, and standing in a parking area to the east of this intersection, he observed Williams drive his vehicle away through the grass and back out onto Lincoln Memorial Drive. 
Truax ran to the intersection of Lincoln Memorial and Water Tower Road, drew his service firearm, and approached Williams's Audi, repeatedly ordering him to stop. Williams continued to drive northbound, first on the median, and then quickly swerving toward the left, nearly striking Truax in the process. Truax fired his weapon towards Williams eight times in approximately three seconds, ultimately fatally wounding him in the head. Williams' car swerved back to the right and stopped after striking a car adjacent to it. The incident was captured on camera by the other deputy squad car. There was other video evidence collected as well as interviews. Uh, Truax ultimately gave a statement. He said he's patrolled the area of the lakefront on prior occasions, knows the area to be heavily populated. He stated that as he observed Williams drive his vehicle off-road and onto the grass, he decided to intervene because he was concerned about the safety of others in the area, noting that people often congregate on the grass, walk on the sidewalks, ride bicycles, and cross the roadway near the intersection. Truax indicated he believed there were thousands of people in the area of this intersection and that any of them were in danger of death or great bodily harm as Williams drove his vehicle away from a marked car with activated lights and sirens. As he intervened, Truax observed Williams swerve his vehicle towards him. He believed his life was in danger. He fired shots towards the vehicle. A toxicology report generated through the autopsy revealed the presence of opiates and marijuana in Williams' system at the time this occurred. And then they conclude, the evidence in this case supports the use of force by Deputy Truax under these circumstances. Williams, that's the bad guy, the driver, made the conscious decision to avoid being stopped by a marked squad car with activated lights and siren. Instead of following an officer's express order to pull his vehicle out of traffic, he drove off the road into a grassy public space often occupied by pedestrians. Williams continued driving through this public space and over a sidewalk back onto Lincoln Memorial Drive. Although there were no people in the immediate pathway of Williams' vehicle at the time he drove off the roadway, his actions displayed his willingness to potentially endanger others in an effort to escape being pulled over. Similarly, Williams' sudden driving over the median of Lincoln Memorial Drive as the roadway was filled with traffic indicated a reckless disregard for the safety of others. Finally, Williams, driving northbound again onto the median towards the intersection of Lincoln Memorial and Water, indicated reckless disregard for the many other cars and people surrounding him. It was reasonable for Deputy Truax to perceive that Williams presented a danger to those around him by the manner in which he was operating his vehicle in full view and disregard of law enforcement authorities. As Truax intervened personally, his own life was endangered by Williams' continued driving towards him and actually veering his vehicle towards Truax. The evidence in this matter indicates Truax reasonably used deadly force in the defense of others as well as himself. Therefore, this office finds the force used by Deputy Michael Truax is privileged in self-defense and defense of others and justified under Wisconsin law. Our review of this matter is concluded. Now, the, the family of Williams has filed a, a federal complaint, and they're going to be trying to seek damages from Milwaukee County, etc. The DA's office says, nothing to see here. No crime was committed by the officer. Our investigation is closed. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the DA's office get this right? Even if this isn't a criminal matter, and we often talk about this, there's a difference between criminal and civil. Even if this wasn't a criminal matter worthy of charges, did the deputy err? Is the late Mr. Williams, is he a victim of overzealous police? Should he be entitled to recover? 
The DA's office says no crime. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Shorthand, my take, as I have been saying for over a year now, you look at the video, the DA's office, I think, clearly got it right. This was a situation where I think clearly the deputy's life was endangered. Other people's lives were endangered by the reckless and irresponsible behavior of the guy driving the car. I think the deputy was entitled to do what he did. And as far as a civil lawsuit, my response would be nothing to see here. But what do you think? 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in a moment. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the, the DA's office has finally weighed in on this incident that happened in June of last year where the deputy sheriff shot the guy who was fleeing from the deputies on a crowded night at the lakefront. DA's office says nothing to see here. It was a justifiable use of force. I think they got it right. Dan and Fond du Lac. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks, Jeff, for taking my call. Hi, Dan. Hey, you know, up here in the Final Act area or in the surrounding counties, you know what? If a cop pulls you over, a police officer, that matter, you pull over. You take them in consideration of what they are about to tell you what you did wrong. There's nothing that I would, or anybody around this area would ever say that we should run. Well, well, right, and it's and in this particular case, keep in mind, it's not just it's not just running that that got the guy shot. It was running and apparently trying to drive over a a police officer who was trying to get the guy to stop. I mean, th- th- this idea that well, you know, you're not entitled to defend yourself. You're just supposed to, I don't know, hope that he doesn't hit you. I I just don't buy that at all. I agree with that. What you said there, Jeff, and then also, you know. These people have to understand that there's nothing that the police officers are doing wrong. I'm just hoping. Yeah, no, thank, thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, that. look, this is one of these unfortunate situations, and it is unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's a tragedy that this man lost his life, all right? But what happened here, it was the decisions that he made. You've got the lakefront. It's a June night. I think it was a Sunday night, as I recall. It's Packed. I remember it being a warm night. You have this guy, for whatever reason, decides that he's going to run from the police. He's driving over the grassy portion down there. You've got kids that are all around. You've got people. You've got bicyclists. It's just jam-packed. And here you have somebody that's driving on the median, swerving. You've got a police officer, gun-drawn, trying to get the people to stop, trying to get him to stop. And you don't stop, and you go with the police officer. Well, Okay, bad things are going to happen. But this idea that, well, the police officer committed a crime or should have been charged, I, I reject it at the time, and I, I reject it now. And, and by the way, I mean, I guess, you know, I understand there's a civil lawsuit that's going to be out there, and that'll have to go through its course. But at the same time, this is one where if I'm if I'm corporation counsel for Milwaukee County, my response is not one dime on this one. Because while I, I don't think officers always are right, while sometimes they're just not the appropriate judgment, the reason this man was dead is because dead is because of the actions that he undertook that night that put the life of the police officer and the lives of countless people who were in that lakefront that night in jeopardy. Dusty in Hales Corners. Dusty, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. 
Uh, here's my take on this scenario and my take on the majority of scenarios. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what sex you are. And lately, I don't care how old you are. If you play stupid games, you're going to win stupid prizes. That's the end of the story. Well, and this is, um, <clears throat> thanks for calling. It's clearly, it, it was clearly a, a stupid choice. There, there's no question about it. And, you know, he, he paid you know, the ultimate price. And, and that's, that is an unfortunate thing. It is too bad that it ended up happening. But at the under, at the base of this, you've got to understand why did this happen? And it happened because of the actions of, of the driver. Now, some people might say, well, you know, the officer fired eight shots in three seconds. Well, officers are trained. As we talk about a lot, you, you, you fire to, you know, end the threat. And in this particular case, my guess is the officer's weapon had eight shots in it. And I just, I think he probably fired all those shots. It's not like, gee, I'm going to fire one shot at this car that's coming at me and see if that's going to be enough to stop it. My guess is he fired all the shots that he had available and that ended up suppressing the threat. It's too bad this happened. I really, I don't think anybody can take any pleasure in this man losing his life. But it is an object lesson as to what happens if you decide that you are going to flee from police and endanger the lives of others. The DA's office got it right. Don't quite know why it took a year plus for this decision to come out. Um, civil lawsuit, fine, let him sue. But if I'm Milwaukee, let the family sue. But if I'm Milwaukee County, I'm, I'm fighting this one. It's 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers look to make it two in a row as they head to Seattle to take on Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, joins Gene Miller for a preview. That's at seven fifty-one tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Crew, who's producing this? Yep, you're, there you are. Okay. First half hour of the show, I looked over the. You were there for a while. Jordan, who produces the Graffiti Show, was there. Nick, who produces the Wisconsin's Afternoon Show, was there for a while. It was like, okay, but now they're back. That's good. I don't know. I think we did this yesterday. It's, it's been like more than 10 years since the Packers have won in Seattle. Long time since they've won in, in, in Seattle. So clearly they've got, uh, they've got their work cut out for them, but you never know. All right. One of the reasons, I admit that one of the reasons I love this story is because there are people on the left whose heads are, figuratively speaking, exploding when they they see this. But I, I want to bring this up. There is a small company located in Hortonville, and, and it's called Ben, B-E-N, Shot. What they do is they make um, kind of novelty gifts. They make glassware embedded with with what appear to be bullets. And, and the idea is it appears like the so the glass has been been shot or something like that. Okay, so that's what they do. They have um, 16 full-time employees. So I, I don't know if you've seen this story or not, but here's what happened. They decided that they wanted to, I don't know, this year, offer a memorable Christmas present to their workers. Now, l- let's be clear here. Many, 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 many companies no longer give Christmas gifts. I mean, it's just there. You know, it used to be there was a time where people got bonus around. Can we say Christmas gifts anymore? Do you have to say like holiday gifts or whatever? But you understand the concept. It used to be that people would get Christmas bonuses, and then you know people would get holiday bonuses, and 
many, many, many employers don't don't do that anymore. It, it just this is kind of like a thing of the past. You know, some some places still do, but the idea of giving out Christmas gifts or holiday gifts or whatever you want to call it, that most I don't most employers don't do that anymore simply because they they just can't afford it. Well, anyhow, you've got this little company. They've got sixteen full time employees. And they decided this year they wanted to provide a memorable Christmas present to their workers. And so what they did is they offered handguns to their 16 workers. Do you hear the story, Grill? All right, so this was the Christmas gift. They said, here's the deal. Employees could choose which type of handgun you wanted with a value of up to $500. Some employees chose smaller firearms, while others picked larger ones. Some had enough money left over to buy additional equipment like holsters and ammunition. So they said, here's the deal. You you get a gun, you get a handgun for Christmas, and we're going to give you a a $500 credit, a, a gift card. A couple of employees didn't want the guns, and they were given gift cards instead. But, um, the, you know, almost all of them, I, I think, ended up, you know, buying the guns. Um, the company also offered a handgun safety course to their employees on, on top of that. The way this worked here is, again, you could choose what you wanted. The owner of the company says the employees were excited. They went home. They told their wives and husbands. Not everyone believed them. Guys want to buy guns. Their wives won't let them. A couple of the employees, again, didn't want guns. They got gift cards. They find that the companies that still provide holiday bonuses or holiday gifts, typically the company gift is worth about $79 an employee. In this case, again, they got a $500 gift card. They say that the gift is in the vein of the company's culture and customer base, which uh, tends to represent law enforcement, such as police and military um, officers. So that's how they approach this. They're offering the handgun safety course as well. But they say, here, we're giving you a gun. And the vast majority of the employees took them up on it. And I'm looking at one picture in one of the stories where all the employees are standing around happily holding their handguns. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Your reaction to this company choosing to give handguns as a Christmas gift. Is this appalling are you shocked and offended that they would do this? Or do you think it's something that, well, hey, this is something that the employees wanted and it's something that the employees are going to be grateful for? Would you criticize the company for doing this? Because trust me, a lot of people are. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. And obviously, I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. 140, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, if nothing else, this is a brilliant marketing idea. Because until this story broke, I'd never heard of Ben Shot. And now I, I'm, I'm on Amazon. I'm looking at all the different glasses they have. And they, 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 they make pint glasses and they make whiskey glasses. And, and they've got, they've got like a bullet that, that's embedded in them. And it's, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking of should I order one of these? I just, but okay, they're getting all this controversy because they've got 16 full-time employees, and they decided as a Christmas gift they were going to give their employees 
a, a handgun, actually a $500 gift certificate, so they could go out and they could pick the gun that they wanted to do. And almost all of the employees took them up on it. 414-799-1620. You appalled by this? I'm, I guess I'm, I'm not. Peggy in Wauwatosa. Peggy, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Peggy. I think it's a great idea. First of all, it gave them the option to take the money or the gift card or the gun. And if most of them took the gun, that showed him that what he offered them was exactly what they all wanted. Right. How can you go wrong with that? Right. I mean, he, he says, look, I did the, the, the owner says, I did this for two reasons. First, we thought it would be good for everybody's safety to have a handgun in the home. And then we also thought it, it's kind of fun. So now we're going to have company outings planned for going to the shooting range and that kind of thing. So it's sort of like we're doing this as kind of a team building thing as well. I think it's a great idea, and I, I applaud them for doing it. It's very out of the box, but I think it's great. Well, yeah, thank. I mean, it, right? It, it is. I mean, it is this kind of out of the box thing, and I understand that maybe. I don't know. You know, maybe if this was, I don't know, a company that made latte mix in, you know, downtown Madison, you know, maybe this wouldn't go over. But this is this is a company in Hortonville that makes glassware that has bullets embedded by in it. I mean, it, it does kind of tie into what their their product is. And they're thinking, hey, it, it's it's good. We want people to learn how to shoot guns. And I mean, candidly, like I say, to the extent that companies do give Christmas gifts, most of them don't nowadays, but the typical Christmas gift is 79 bucks. They're shelling out $500. You can put $500 towards a, a firearm. 414-799-1620. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Bob. I think it's a great idea. I think it shows appreciation and goodwill to the employees for the hard work, and they'll want to uh, work that much harder. I think the company is very responsible in offering the course in how to properly use right. it. And it could be a, just maybe a collector item that you hang on the mantle over the fireplace or something like that. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's very generous, and I, I thought it was a great idea. Should, should, they, should they have just given them a gift card, though, and, and let people buy what they want? We're not going to make you buy a gun. You're, we, we'd rather you buy you know, a scarf or something like that. Well, I think that it's in tune with uh, the company, what they produce, and they did offer the gift card if you felt that that was inappropriate. Right. But I think that it's in nature with the business, and uh, yeah. yeah, I think it was a, a very, a very thoughtful, a very thoughtful idea. Well, well, thanks. It's definitely out of the box. Now, I, I, the story I have in front of me right now, it, I, somewhere I read. I read in one of the descriptions of this that there were originally only two of the employees who said, you know, we think we want the gift card. And I thought I read that those two then reconsidered when they found out that there was also firearms training that's going along with it. Again, I, I'm looking at a photograph of all these employees. They're all carrying their firearms and they, they appear, they appear to be, they appear to be happy and they appear to be content. And, you know, the owner, he says, hey, another one of these reasons that we did this is we want to make sure all of our employees are safe and happy, and we thought the handgun was the perfect gift. Now, I understand there's people who's listening to me right now whose heads are absolutely exploding at that, but obviously this particular employer, and it's a father and son business, it's a family business, I, I think they they know you know who their workers are, and they know what their workers want. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, let's see, Mike and Van Dyne. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Um, since the company talked to the employees and the, the employees decided that, hey, this is, sounds pretty terrific, 
this is still a country of free will. Uh, I think it's a wonderful business decision. I think everyone should carry a gun. Mm -hmm. My only concern is that how are they doing the registration so that they're, that all these guys are cleared to carry a gun? Well, I think, thanks. My, my understanding is that, that they give them the gift cards. They take it to the retailer. And so the retailer runs the background check. So to, to that extent, it's just like they're not going ahead. They don't like buy the gun and then say, you know, here, Gru, here, here's your gun. They give them a gift card to the store. They then go to wherever they're going to go to buy them and they buy them. So, so there is the background check that's done. As far as that, that next step, I don't think anybody's talked about getting them concealed carry permits or anything like that. That would be on their own. But right there, they give them the gift card. They go, they buy it. And then the retailer runs the background check, just like the retailer would run the background check if. If I were to buy you a gift certificate for a gun at a particular gun shop, you would go with that gift certificate, and, and they would run the background check. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, great topic. I really like some of the topics you picked. Thank you, I, sir. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with you, and here goes. Uh, you know, nothing says Merry Christmas like Grandma with a 357. <laughs> I happen to be in a business where I have, and I do right now, have multiple guns all around me, all around me. So I'm not an anti-gun person. Okay. But what I am is these very same people who are applauding this and are are brandishing their weapons will be the exact same people whose jaws drop at the next mass shooting. And it's like if you're going to control alcoholism, well, I don't think you're going to keep passing out alcohol. If you're going to do something about mass shootings, you have to show responsibility. I know you're probably too young for this, but I was a member of the NRA when the NRA meant responsible gun ownership. Now we pass them out like they're uh, what is that Christmas cake? What was the old well, Christmas cake? Well, but no, let me let me stop you. Why why do you assume you've got you've got okay sixteen employees at this company who presumably all can pass the appropriate background check? Why do you, how do you get to the fact that the company is giving them gift certificates by firearms, so that's going to lead to more mass shootings? I'm not following you there. I'll explain. I'll explain really easily. And it comes from my father. My father was a World War II veteran. And when this gun craziness came out, he said, who are these people fearing that they have to arm themselves? They said, well, they've been told there's somebody coming to get them, or they should fear, or they need to protect themselves. You were in a business where you had to carry a firearm. You understood only too well. And a guy like you, uh, that doesn't bother me at all. You were trained. You know what it was. Mm-hmm. What they call training now, I asked one of those people a while back, show me how to field strip your weapon. He dropped his jaw. He had not a clue. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a guy that is supposed to understand what he's carrying. They don't know hostile targets from friendly targets. They don't have any of that training. They've got a media uh, uh, enough to say, uh, you know, be careful when you pull this gun, you have a lot of responsibility. They may understand that, but you know, being in the law enforcement, and there's many people that are empowered once they have a gun. A case in point, if you see a hostile situation and you don't have a weapon, you probably will leave it. I have a Yeah, but let, let me stop you again there, Bill. I, I mean, yeah. I we have had concealed carry in this country for a long time. We've had it in Wisconsin for, for several years, and as somebody who 
follows the news on a daily basis. It's what I do for a living. And, you know, who, and I'm not saying every time there's a shooting, I, I keep track of who's responsible, but I got to tell you, I can't think of more than, well, certainly I, I can count the instances on one hand, and probably I don't need all that one hand for a situation where, for example, it's been a concealed carry holder who's been involved in some sort of wrongful shooting. I mean, typically, that's not where you you have the problem. It's it's criminals that end up oh, yes, committing the crimes. Jeff, Jeff yeah. may interrupt you sure. on that note. Right here in Wisconsin, if you study some of the shootings, uh, they were uh, licensed concealed carry people who shot somebody on their property under the castle doctrine. Okay. Now, if you really research all of that, we have come to a, become a country of fear, and this fear is impressed upon us that we need to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. I have worked in many situations. In fact, I was just down in the inner city a while back in, how should I say, a hostile environment. And uh, somebody asked me, um, did, were, did, were you caring? I don't even own a concealed carry permit. I don't need to own a concealed mm-hmm. carry permit. I understand when I'm threatened. Plus, I have, as I said, I, I happen to own a, a canine. Um, I understand, you know, those situations, but you give a man a weapon, and in many cases, he feels empowered. Well, see, Bill, thanks, thanks, I'm sorry, I'm kind of up against the clock, but I, I just, I guess I don't buy, I understand what you're saying, but I, I just don't buy that, that notion that simply because you have people who are lawfully now, and again, background checks and all that sort of stuff, so these are people who are lawfully allowed to own firearms. The fact that this company has decided to, again, provide a firearm, or at least a gift certificate so they can go out and buy a firearm, I, I am willing to bet that if we look back, I don't know, 10 years from now, that there's nobody that got this gift that's going to turn out to have used that firearm improperly. I'm willing to bet. Now, maybe somebody, maybe one of those 16 people that got this as a gift is going to prove me wrong, and I'm going to have to eat those words. But I'm relatively comfortable with that. Now, as far as using a firearm for self-defense, I think particularly in, in areas where it's people's houses, I, I think I, I think that's a matter of individual choice. I understand that there's lots of people who don't feel comfortable around firearms and don't want to have one there. I I get that, and I don't think those people should have to do it. At the same time, I don't feel like I'm the person that says, gee, if you live in this area where there's break-ins or whatever, and you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and there's somebody downstairs that, you know, you shouldn't have a right to, I don't know, defend yourself if that person is there to not only rob your house, but perhaps do you or your family members bodily harm. I, I just, I, I and but I the, the bigger point is, I guess, and this comes from somebody who has owned and carried, now I carried a firearm back when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office because of death threats. I, I own a firearm to this day. I don't have a concealed carry permit. I, I don't, I've never felt the need for, for one. So, but I, I have a gun at the house. I, I do. Um, but hopefully I'll never have to use it. I don't view myself as being a, a risk. It's never occurred to me to take that firearm and use it to hold up a Seven Eleven or anything like that. It's just, it, it's, and I think that's for the overwhelming majority of people. And I guess the idea that by allowing some of these employees to have a firearm, if they so choose, that suddenly you're going to contribute to, I, I don't know, mass instances of homicide or things like that. I I just don't buy it. I don't. I think this is a great idea. And if nothing else, 
If nothing else, this is a great marketing idea. And let's separate that from, you know, the wisdom of everything else because people who are hearing about this, I had never heard about the Ben Shot glasses before. My guess is probably a lot of people haven't. Now, I'm willing to bet that a lot of people are doing exactly what I just did a couple minutes ago, which is going to Amazon Prime and saying, huh, what does this company make? So the employees seemed happy from a marketing perspective, and I'm sure they're going to get some, I don't know, some some hate response on social media. But, you know, those are the people that wouldn't buy the glasses anyway. So we'll see how it works out. The employees are happy, so I'm cool. It is 156. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Follow up to a story we, we talked about yesterday. And it's, it, it is one of these stories that I, I'm just, I'm amazed that, again, n- nobody holds people accountable. It is the story about the Milwaukee mother who gets drunk, gets arrested, 1230 in the morning, night before last, gets arrested for drunk driving. Fine. All right, now, if you remember two nights ago, like last night and like tonight, it's going to be cold, right? We're, we're dealing with an abnormally cold stretch of weather. So she gets pulled over. She gets stopped for drunk driving 1230 at night. She's taken out of the car, and because she's not able to drive, she's going to be taken into custody. There's a 10-month-old that they find in the car with her. So they take the 10-month-old into custody, and then the police are at the scene, they're, they're supposed to do a check on the car. You're supposed to look through the car if the car is going to be impounded or whatever, you know, do a safety check, you know, look to see are there guns in the car, Are there is there contraband in the car, is there a person in the car? And apparently the police on the scene don't do that. Now, I don't want to excuse the mother because the mother is either so drunk or whatever that she doesn't point out that there's a four-year-old who's sleeping in the back seat of the car. She doesn't point that out. Now, how how drunk do you have to be to, to do that? But she apparently doesn't point that out. The police who are making the search don't notice it. Then you get the tow truck operators. They come. They're supposed to look at the car. Nobody notices that. And then when the car is taken to the impound lot, somebody at the impound lot is supposed to do an inspection of the car Nobody does this, or at least if they do it, they do a half-butted job of it because nobody sees that there is a four-year-old kid that's sleeping in the back of this car. So sometime in the middle of the night, presumably the child wakes up in this cold car, starts screaming, yelling, has no idea where she is, has no idea where mom is. Now, mom's a, a drunken loser, so I'm, you know, I, I, I get that. But the kid is by themselves screaming. It's not until 8.30 in the morning when some tow truck, when somebody at the tow lot hears screaming coming from this car and notices that there's a four-year-old child that's there. All right. So the, the immediate response of the police department was, well, we're going to seek charges against the mother. All right. Well, that, that, that's fine. I, I get that. But that's not the end of this. I mean, there's all sorts of of rules and regulations that have to do with what your responsibility is when you impound items and things like that. And it appears that nobody followed that. And this is a story that I I understand the mayor. I understand the people at DPW. I understand the people at the police department just kind of want to sweep under the rug. And I get the fact that this is 
if you want to look for responsibility, it starts with the drunken mom. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that mom shouldn't have the book thrown at her. Also, presumably somebody came and picked up the 10-month-old, and, and that nobody, whoever that was, doesn't think to ask, hey, where's the four-year-old? I mean, the, the whole thing is just bizarre, and maybe this is a classic example of where the mother is an unfit mother, and these kids shouldn't be anywhere near her, and, and that's, that's okay. I'm good with that. But this story could have had a really, 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 did I say really bad result? And, and you gotta wonder, somebody or some people did not do their job. They didn't look in the car. I mean, I guess you, you look, if nothing else, I mean, one of the things we've learned over the years is, you know, when you're seizing a car, you look in that car to figure out if there's weapons, if there's stuff in there. And in this case, there was a kid. And nobody, I guess, took the time, or like I say, if they did take the time, they didn't do a very good job. And the miracle of this story, again, is that the child, apparently not seriously injured or anything like that. But, you know, it would be nice, the word that the police chief throws around is transparency, it would be nice to have a little transparency on this, to understand what happened and what is going to be done to make sure it doesn't happen again, and what the consequences are for whoever along the way didn't properly follow the rules because you should have been able to find a four-year-old sleeping in the car, if nothing else, to make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, again, the, the police are seeking charges against the mother. That's all well and good. But the bigger question is, you know, internally, what is going to happen to the people, whether it's DPW or whether the officers on the scene or whatever, a couple people screwed up big time. And it's going to be nice to be interesting to know what you're going to do about that. All right. I want to talk about beer. All right. Can I see a show of hands? Everybody out there who's a beer drinker. Oh, hands are going up all over. All right. It's a tough time in in the beer industry for the big brewers. One of the things that's happened over the years, over the last several years in particular, is there has been an explosion in craft brewing. And you have a lot of these smaller, like local or regional breweries that have just absolutely taken off. You know, we have a number of success stories around here. Lakefront is one that, that comes to mind. You know, but it, it starts off as a smaller brewery. They, they've developed, you know, a, a very, very good following. You have a, a number of really good craft breweries that are around you know, the Milwaukee area, and, you know, you go to many areas and you have these great craft breweries and great craft beers. And candidly, I, I, I like, I, I like IPAs myself, but there's all sorts of different beers that are there. And given the choice, I oftentimes, as somebody who's not going to have more than one or two beers, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll find myself, oh, you've got this beer or you got that beer. I'll go with a good craft brewery. Matter of fact, the problem that craft breweries are having now is that it's been so competitive that a lot of craft breweries that try to expand nationwide now they're having to pull back because they're finding they can't get into the market. I'll give you an example. There's a brewery out of San Diego called Green Flash that makes a really good beer. I, I like it. They were trying to do a national rollout. They were in Milwaukee for a while, but they, they just they didn't make it. Now they, they've scaled back dramatically. Now, at the same time, you have the explosion of craft breweries. You also have some people who are moving away from breweries, and then you have the big brewers. You have Miller Coors. You have Anheuser-Busch. Those, those breweries 
have been, I think, seeing a decline. Now, it's not to say that they don't brew a lot of beer, but they've been seeing a decline because, again, they're getting all this competition from the beer market, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's a tough time if you're one of the, the big brewers. Well, all right. Back in the day, Milwaukee had three major breweries. You had Schlitz, you had Pabst, and you had Miller. Now Miller Coors. Uh, Schlitz, Schlitz, they don't brew in Milwaukee anymore. Pabst went under, what, in the 1990s. And then you've got, you know, Miller, which has been operating consistently. Now, you might say to me, hey, Jeff, wait a minute. What do you mean Pabst went under? I I was just having a Pabst the other day. Well, yeah, I mean, they still brew Pabst, but Pabst doesn't brew Pabst. What happens is Pabst is based out of Los Angeles, and Pabst contracts with Miller Coors. They have a deal with Miller Coors where they say to Miller Coors, we want you to brew our beer. So it is interesting. Miller is, is brewing Pabst. But but that's that's the deal. And they have a contract with Miller Coors, this is Pabst, to brew their beer, and the current contract runs through 2020. Maybe you, you've seen this. There, there's a trial that, that's going on in, in Milwaukee County right now. There, there's a trial where um, what's happening is Miller Coors has said, look, here, here's the deal. After 2020... We're not going to be able to brew your beer anymore because we're not going to have the capacity to do it. We're, we, we have to brew our beer first. And then there's, we had this plant in, um, Edens, Minnesota, I think. We're closing that. And then there's one other brewery, but we might end up closing that. Bottom line is we, we're not going to have the capacity to brew your stuff. So we're canceling the contract. That's essentially what they're saying. And Pabst is suing them, saying it's not over excess capacity. Pabst, they're saying Miller is trying to push us out of business. All right. So that's what the lawsuit is. I don't know how it's going to ultimately be decided. Jury's going to have to figure out, you know, under the contract, does Miller have an obligation to keep brewing Pabst beer at the price that it's charging them past 2020? You know, jury will sort that all out. But to me, the more interesting question is, given all the beers that are out there and given the fact that, you know, I think nowadays, if you are a beer drinker, you have more choices than I think you, you've ever had. You know, you walk into a bar, you've got the brew pubs that are out there. I mean, yeah, you've got the places you can go and you can get Miller Light, you can get Bud Light, you can get Coors Light. Um, but, you know, there, there's more choices now than ever. So here is my question. Pabst says that if if they lose this lawsuit and if Miller is allowed to stop brewing their beer, they're effectively, the implication is they're going to be out of business because there's no other place out there that, that brew, Anheuser-Busch doesn't do any contract brewing. They're saying there's just no place we can go to affordably, you know, get our beer that's brewed. And the implication is this is going to put us out of business and, you know, we want all these, we want hundreds of millions of dollars in damage or we want Miller to be required to continue to brew our beer. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Sunday afternoon, I was sitting in a watering hole in Cedarburg, as a matter of fact. $2 pints of beer during the Packers game. The guys I was with, they're Bud Light drinkers. I had two Pabst Blue Ribbon beers on tap. Two bucks, two bucks a piece. So that, I mean, Pabst was my go-to beer 
when I wasn't going to drink one of the IPAs, and I just wanted something a little bit lighter, but I'm not a big light beer drinker. But I, I had the two Pabst's. I enjoyed the Pabst. From time to time, I've gone and bought a six-pack of Pabst, again, for kind of a warm summer day or something like that. If Pabst beer were to go away, would you miss it? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you believe some of the rhetoric coming from the attorneys, this trial in downtown Milwaukee is about the future of Pabst beer. If Pabst were to go away, what effect would that have on you, if anything? Beer drinkers of Milwaukee, southeastern Wisconsin, and Wisconsin, I am curious. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And let me be clear here. I I mean, a jury is going to decide whether, under the contract, Miller Coors has to keep brewing PAPS after 2020 or beyond. They'll decide that. I don't know enough of the nuances to know exactly. I think I think PAPS has got an uphill claim, but but who knows? Juries can decide. But if if PAPS were to go away, you know, would would you end up missing it? Now, PAPS has had more lives than you know a, a cat in many respects. They closed the PAPS Brewing Company. Um, in Milwaukee, Paps disappeared for a while. Now the company's based out of Los Angeles, but they do contract brewing, and and there is a certain cachet to to bringing Paps Blue Ribbon back. I think I, I think for the type of beer and the type of class it's in, I, I think it's it's a, a reasonably good beer. I I drink that from time to time on hot summer afternoons or watching football games. I like Schlitz as well, the Schlitz recipe that goes back to the 70s. If Paps disappears, would you miss it? Let's start with Rob in Green Bay. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, uh, real quick, like you, I'm, a, I'm a, a craft beer guy, but if they don't have craft beer, I will, I will do a Paps. I just I just have a hard I, You know, they got to be really kicking themselves in the rear end for closing their plant because, you know, in order to brew beer, you got to have equipment. But i got to really think that there's got to be a way that if they could contract brew with some other with other company because that would provide a lot of capital for a small brewery yeah i think the issue th- thanks for calling again I, I i from what i understand the issue is the it, it first of all they have a very favorable deal with miller right now i mean a very favorable deal miller charges them like 17 dollars a barrel to brew it i think that they would be hard pressed to find other breweries that would do that on top of that there there's the the amount of beer Lots of breweries are strained as far as their capacity is. That that's see that's kind of the issue. What Miller is saying is, hey, we have, you know, we used to have excess capacity, so we could do this. But what we've decided is we're closing. We've closed this one plant, and we might close this other one. So we're, we're getting rid of our excess capacity. Brewing our Miller Coors products, that's got to come first, and we just don't have the capacity to continue doing it. And I think the problem that, that Pabst has is finding another brewer. It has to be a relatively large-scale brewer who can take care of that. And they're saying there, there's, there's nothing out there, or at least nothing out there that we could get to brew us, to brew for us at, at the price that we're paying. And, you know, they, they said that, like, Miller wants to charge us $45 a barrel or something like that. And if he charges $45 a barrel, we're now paying 17 we're, we're going to go out of business. We can't do that. So I don't know the economics of the beer industry, but I do think it's interesting is, you know, if, if perhaps here's the thing, problem, though, with so many choices that are out there, you know, if, if Paps disappears, 
all right, are, are people going to really notice that, or are they just going to switch to, all right, now we're going to drink Miller, or now we're going to drink Schlitz, or now we're going to drink any one of, of a number of those lagers that are out there? Dave and Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Dave. I, like you, also am a fan of craft beers, and I guess I just find it kind of interesting that, and I made the, the, the comment to your producer that, well, if you're not brewing your own beer, you're not in business, and he kind of explained the, the situation to me. Right. But my point is they have a contract through 2020, correct? Right, so, correct. Like you said, $17 a barrel, whatever it is. Right. At the end of that, I mean, at the end of that contract, it's the end of that contract, and we're going right. to brew beer for you at $40 a barrel, or we're not going to do it. Yeah. Take it or leave it. That's what a contract is. I mean, this is just like, uh, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, th- apparently, no wants, I mean, right? I mean, no one wants to pay Callan Callan Kaepernick, you know, to to play. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of the same thing. Sorry, well, right? Well, I mean, I, I guess my understanding is, and I'm I, I'm trying not to get too deep into the weeds on the, the contract argument. Apparently, there's provisions that that give. It's kind of like a discretionary extension, you know. Do but Miller is saying, look, we, you know, the, the issue is, do they have to extend the contract, and who has the options, and that type of stuff. And again, I don't want to get too deeply into the weeds on the the underlying thing, but I will tell you, I think there's a very real chance that if Pabst ends up losing this lawsuit, that the Pabst brand, as we know it, would would go away. And the question is, in today's beer market, would you miss any real brand of beer? I've got a number of texts on this. My God, I would miss it. I love the Blue Ribbon. Here's another one. I think there's just too many okay-tasting, relatively cheap options for me to care. Plus, I doubt anyone can blind taste a uh, Pabst. Hmm. Mike says, I would miss Pabst. I had an uncle who worked there back in the day. Employee discount, great beer, but I can move on. I will, however, miss it as I go. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I have said this before. I have... Uh, when when I was when I started drinking beer, Pabst made this brand called Ondecker, which was the it was sort of the equivalent of Michelob. It was Pabst's high end beer, and I loved Ondecker. I just thought it was great. Uh, but the problem is they started messing around with the recipe and they started cheaping out stuff. And the the Ondecker that I grew up with is what not what Ondecker was at the end. And they ended up getting rid of the Ondecker brand. Now they've brought it back in like limited doses. I don't know what formula they're using. To me, it doesn't taste the same. Now, maybe my taste buds have changed over 30 years, but I still don't think they've necessarily gotten it right. I hope Pabst is still around, but I, I think you know, the trial is going to go a long way to determining whether or not it survives. 229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Gee, you put on these pair of jeans that you haven't worn for a while, and your big surprise is they fit. No, that's... It's Melissa and my producer Brewer saying, no, for, for me, it's you find money in them. Um, but but what, what can you say? All right. Uh, Kimberly Clark, and we, we've talked about this on several occasions. We, we did yesterday as well. This is an update on that story. As you're perhaps aware, Kimberly Clark has announced that they, and they're a major employer in the Fox Valley, several thousand employees at various facilities. They announced a while back that they were going to be closing two plants in the Fox River Valley, one that employed about 100 people, one that employed about 500 people that primarily makes like the pens undergarments and things, you know, like like that. What they said, it's it's in Fox Crossing. It's known as the Cold Spring plant. And what Kimberly Clark said is, well, state of Wisconsin, if you want to keep these jobs, 
What we want is we want a, a bailout. Uh, they didn't use the word bailout, but we want money along the lines of what you gave Foxconn. That's it, to keep these jobs here. I have argued against that. I said if I was in the state Senate, I would have voted no on that because, again, I just I think that Foxconn to me is a completely different animal. Foxconn is a transformative thing where you are bringing a technology and an industry that does not exist in the United States. You are bringing it into the United States, number one, and into southeastern Wisconsin, number two. And if Foxconn works out, it has the potential to change the landscape of the state's economy for decades. That, to me, makes it worth the bailout. No offense to Kimberly Clark, which has been around forever, but you have an existing industry that's there and an industry that is struggling. And candidly, I mean, I just don't think that there's those kind of guarantees. Kimberly Clark isn't transformative. And my concern is that the state taxpayers cannot, in my opinion, be bailing out every company that starts to struggle. I mean, where where do you draw the line? If I own a restaurant in Waukesha County, big restaurant that's been around forever and employs 100 people, and my, my restaurant is being economically challenged because there's new restaurants out there or whatever, should I be able to go to the state legislature and say, hey, you know, I, I need – I need X thousands of dollars or X millions of dollars to keep my restaurant open. And, you know, where do you end up drawing the line? So if I were in the legislature, my inclination is probably to say I would vote no. I I would even more vote no because of where we are in the legislative cycle. Governor Walker lost the election. That was only eight days ago. It's still mind-boggling to me that was only eight days ago. So you've got a new administration that's coming in, Tony Evers. While the, the Republicans have overwhelming control in the state legislature, um, ultimately, you're going to have a new legislature. And I think this is one where if you want to take up the whole Kimberly Clark bailout question, it's something that should be done after Tony Evers takes over. If Evers wants to do that, like, let him own it. Right now, what's going on is they're in a special session and they, they don't have the votes. Almost no Democrats or maybe no Democrats in the state Senate. Right now, there's 15 of them. None of them are supporting it. And there's a handful of Republicans who aren't signing off on this as well for some of the reasons that I just articulated. So right now, they don't have the votes. We don't know where Governor-elect Evers stands on this. I don't know. I presume maybe Governor Walker would sign it. But again, I've been arguing during these lame duck sessions you really shouldn't do major legislative things. Elections have consequences. The voters have voted. And I think if you want to take up the Kimberly Clark bailout, fine. But I think you should do it after January. But I don't know, even know if we're going to get to that point because right now no Democrats are on board with this. So I'd say, all right, fine. Let this play out. And then, okay, for people in the Fox Valley, remember two years from now that no Democrats were on board with this bailout, or if Tony Evers doesn't want to sign it, let people in the Fox Valley know Tony Evers didn't want to sign it. But candidly, I think this is one where Evers and the Democrats in the legislature should should own it one way or the other. I don't know if it's going to come up with a vote, because like I say, right now, they don't have the votes in the state Senate to pass it. But I defer this till after January and then let the new legislature take over. All right. Here is what I've been waiting all day to talk to you about. The I have, This is the time of year where people who have places in other parts of the country, the snowbirds, tend to leave. 
I have several friends who have already, and they are mocking me, because they spend their winters in either Florida or in Arizona, and I will get phone calls, texts, and emails saying, hey, was out on the golf course this afternoon. You know, it's really, really nice. How I, I saw that it was 17 last night in Milwaukee. Really? And I say, yes, it, it really is. So they've decided to to relocate. And this is an ongoing decision that, you know, a lot of people end up having if you've got the wherewithal to have that flexibility. Do you want to buy a second place? I, you know, I always wrestle with that because, candidly, I, I love this area. And even if I weren't working and I plan to work for a while for the foreseeable future, for a few years yet. But even if I weren't working, there's always the issue of, do, do you want a second place? Do you want that hassle? Do you have to want to, you want to worry about, gee, I've got a place in Naples and there's a hurricane bearing down on it. Do you want to say, gee, I, I want to commit all that money to buying that place? Or is it just better saying, I've got the one place and during the winter, I don't know, maybe I'll take a week in February or a week in January and I'll go different places. It, th- those are the different issues that, that at least I wrestle with. You know, trying to move forward and trying to see where your life is going to be five or ten years from now. All right. There's something that other people have done, though, that doesn't involve having the separate second house or trying to decide where they want a vacation. Here is the deal. The estimates, and I have this story in my hands from today's Washington Post. Right now, over a million Americans live full time in recreational vehicles. RVs. They call them modern nomads. Now, now some of these people do it because they can't afford many other options, but, but that's not the majority of them. The majority of people are, uh, who own these are people who do it by choice, who decide that we don't want the problems of a house. What we want to do is we just want to pick up and be able to go wherever we want to go whenever we want to go there. And this story I'm looking at the Washington Post's interviews, I mean, interviews dozens of people who have, have made the choice to say, look, I, we, we don't want the house. We don't want the apartment. We just want to be able to, to go where we want to go. Some of these are retirees, but many of them are, are people who are working, but, you know, they, they work remotely. They, they can, you know, log in. They don't need to be at a particular location. And they choose as a lifestyle that they're just going to drive around and they're going to live out of their RVs. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And the argument is, this is the ultimate freedom. I mean, it's like, all right, you know, you can go where you want. It's cold in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Fine, you drive down to Tennessee or you drive down to Florida. Okay, you're in Florida for a while. And then, all right, it's going to be, they're looking at rain for the next month or humidity or whatever. Okay, fine. You're going to drive over and you're going to head over to Texas. Or during the summer, you love being up in Maine, so you're going to drive up in Maine. It's that freedom of being able to do whatever you want to do. Now, I understand for a lot of us, you know, the job and all that, you you, you can't relocate. I, I get that. But for people who are either approaching retirement, in retirement, or have this flexibility, to be able to move around, they're choosing to do it. Over a million of us make that choice. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is is this a trend? Do you get it? Is this something that would appeal to you, just being able to pick up 
and live in an RV. 414-799-1620. Interestingly, the story that I am looking at talks about people saying that you know many of the people that have done this have said they're happier because they don't have the they don't have the homes that they have to take care of and many says it has improved their marriages <laughs> it's improved their marriages by traveling around 4147991620 we discuss in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on does this appeal to you 247 Jeff Wagner WTMJ <laughs> It's 2.51, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. My producer, Gru, says he has a couple who are in their 30s, early 30s, who work as professional photographers, and they live in an RV. They just travel across the country going from photo shoot to photo shoot. Huh. 414-799-1620. Richard in West Bend. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Yeah, you know, me and my wife decided to do this uh, last year. Uh, we've got family in three different states, and we like to travel, and uh, I've had a couple of businesses, and I never got to travel much. So now is our opportunity to do it, and like you were saying at, on your show, uh, we can go where we want to go when we want to go. Would, would you would you get rid of your, your house or your apartment or whatever? Would you, would you live exclusively out of the RV? Oh, well, I have sold the house already. Okay. We're, act- we're actually renting and looking for an RV as right now. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to totally live on it. I mean, we've looked at a number. We've changed <laughs> what kind we're going to get about six different times because we see this is better than that one and we right. think that's better than this one. So, But we've kind of settled on, on what we want and huh. now it's just a matter of settling things down and I've, I'm still working. Right. Right. But but this is this is going to be your retirement plan. It's going to be you're just going to drive around wherever the spirit moves you. Oh yeah, this time next year we'll be on the road. <laughs> well, th- thanks for the call, Richard. You can always listen to us over the internet, so keep that in mind. Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, this is a great topic. Um, I cannot wait to do this. I'm uh, I was telling Drew, I was, you know, I'm only fifty right now, but my 401k is looking healthy. My girlfriend's fifty two. Hers is looking good, and we plan on getting an RV and uh, traveling around the United States. Um, our biggest goal is to get to every uh, NFL stadium and watch a game. Okay, so same question I asked the, the last caller: Do you would you just would you give up a house, give up an apartment, and just live exclusively out of the RV? Well, that's up in the area right okay. now because I, I still got you know I, I plan on working for a while. You know, I'm, right. Like I said, I got probably 15 years left. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I'd have to cross that bridge when I get to it. But I do know. Uh, You'd at least uh, be open to it if you could figure out a way to pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. And I, I can't wait to do it. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm jealous of the last caller because he's closer than I am. <laughs> In- interesting. I think, thanks. I, I just I, I bring this up because I saw this story and and I, I see there, there's things that I. I just have no appeal to me. <laughs> just it's like I mean I I understand I I love I, I look I love to travel I love to see different places and believe me as as I get older the the cold weather just I mean I, I love it here I I just I love southeastern Wisconsin and I don't ever see leaving here because I got friends I got family I've got roots I'm, I'm dug in but at the same time I I do there is an appeal to me about saying all right well during the winter you, you want to get away from things now to me. I don't know that it has to be for six months at a time. To me, it could be all right. Let, if, if you can make this work financially, let's let's take a week and let's go to Key West for a week in February, and let's go to 
somewhere else in, let's go to Arizona for a week in March, if you can pull that off. That has an appeal to me, perhaps more so than, gee, let's get a place so we're locked in. I will say this, living out of an RV and driving around, and I like to drive, that, that one, that kind of is lost on me, but... There's over a million people who are making that a lifestyle already. How cool is that? It's 254. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around.